the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Israel, I have so many questions, don't you? I want the basics. What do we as Americans need to know about Israel here in 2023? That's next. Now, it's time for some sanity. It's the Michelle Tafoya podcast. So Israel... Um, we're very lucky today to have a great guest to talk us through some of the basics of the Israel relationship, or I should say the Israeli relationship with the United States, and all the other surrounding factors that impact that. We are very close allies, but I've long had questions about what that means, and I think it's important for all of us to know. So the Israeli uh, Consul General, Yinam Cohen, who serves the Midwest, he's one of 10 um, sort of people in America that represents Israel here. And he is going to join us in a matter of moments. But first, I have some breaking news. Genucel has upgraded their most upgraded their most popular package to feature their top-selling deep-firming vitamin C serum plus ultra-retinol moisturizer with natural retinol alternative. This is cool. You know that I love Genucel, G-E-N-U-C-E-L. And I'm going to tell you that right now you can take advantage of this limited time package upgrade for 70% off. So why waste time and money to get work done to your face when you can get Genucel skincare shipped to your door? And um, here's a review from Genucel.com from Robert in Blessing, Texas. Lest you think only women are using Genucel. Quote, I purchased Genucel as a gift for my girlfriend. She said she saw results so fast, so we joined their concierge pro program immediately. It's honestly the best skincare she's ever used and is extremely impressed with all the Genucel products. Her skin is noticeably softer and smoother. I can see and feel a difference, too. She was already beautiful, and Genucel has made her more beautiful. That's very sweet. Hey, you should get on board and use it, too. It's not just for your girlfriend. Uh, so Genucel's Secret is a family recipe of over 20 years that makes it safe for all skin types and perfect for both men and women. Made by a compounding pharmacist in small batches and always safe, cruelty-free, and natural. And I love the, uh, the stem cell products in the, in the stuff that I use and that I trust the most. So right now, go to genucell.com slash Michelle. Save over 70% off. 70% off Genucell's most popular package featuring both the Genucell Ultra Retinol and Genucel Firming Serum. It works. Don't wait. Ooh, I kind of sounded like Joe Biden there. Don't wait. Go to Genucel.com slash Michelle, Genucel.com slash Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E. -E. Get a complimentary spa essentials box with every package order plus free upgrade to priority shipping. Genucel.com slash Michelle, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle with one L. Yinam Khan, the council, the Israeli council general to the Midwest. I am so glad you could join us. I was telling the audience earlier, giving them a little bit of your background. There are a number of consulates in the United States that represent certain regions. So you've got like Houston, for instance, and you are in the Midwest. And 
And of course, there's the embassy in Washington. What does a consulate do? What it, What is your role here in the Midwest? You know, that's a question I've I'm being asked all the time, so uh, thank you for that. And first, I have to say that I'm very happy to be with you today. Thank you for the invitation. Happy to have you. Thank you. So, you know, let me start by saying that I think the relations between Israel and the United States are really for us, I mean, one of a kind. I mean, it's a a strategic bond that's been there for, for many years now. And there's no other country in the world with which we have such a strong bond, you know, based on many things we can discuss it. And what I'm trying to do here in the Midwest is to uh, make sure that the very special relations between our country, our countries, uh, continues to grow here in in our region. Um, in you know, in in many aspects, from you know, reaching out to politicians on the state level, federal level, um, but also what we try to do a lot is reach out to local communities, uh, especially African American communities, Latino communities, to to generate more partnerships um, between these communities and and us, and also to create much more business, generate much more business between Israel and this region. The potential is amazing. I think we can do much more, and I can elaborate about it now. Yes, yeah, that that's all of those things are really interesting to me. Let's start with the relationship, and for people who are newbies to this, and I, I certainly, I understand current events, but I, I'd like to get to the root of why this relationship is so strong between Israel and the United States. Why is it so strong? It's a very good question. You know, this year we celebrate 75 years of Israel's independence. We're a very young country. But we also celebrate 75 years of U.S.-Israel relations. And the interesting thing is that when, you know, when our forefather, our first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, declared Israel's independence in 1948, the United States under President Truman was the first country in the world to recognize Israel. And it took President Truman only 11 minutes he signed his letter of recognition after our declaration of independence. So it started very well. I think, but it's more, much more than that, of course. I think that at the very basic level, it's just that our countries share the same values of, 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 of democracy, freedom, and liberty. Israel is still the, really the only democracy in the region, in, in, in the Middle East. And this is something that I think many Americans, not only politicians, but also many American people, um, value. And there are many other reasons. Uh, there are strategic issues that connect us together. Again, being a democracy in the Middle East really, I think, serve American interests. Uh, we have also people-to-people relations that are super strong on the academia, on commerce, tourism. And I have to say, there's a very big and, and an important Jewish community in the United States that is an important bridge between our countries. I mean, Israel has the biggest Jewish community in the world, but the second biggest one is here in the United States. Hmm. It's interesting that you call, you know, you call that moment in 1948 a declaration of independence. So why wouldn't the United States support that? You know, it's and it's a a democracy um, in the way that, like you said, we don't see in other countries in the Middle East. Um, There are people in our politics here in the United States, as you well know, some in your jurisdiction, in your the area that you serve, who are pro-Palestinian and who really, um, I, I, I don't know quite what the word is. Is it anti-Semitic? Is it anti-Israel? I'm not sure. But there are, you know, there are some 
voices out there. And like I said, some of them are in the United States Congress. How do you deal with that? How do you how do you manage those perceptions as compared to what you, you'd like this relationship to, to, to remain in the United States? Right. Thank you for this question. I have, you know, I, I really want to say something before I answer your question, because yes. being pro-Palestinian does not necessarily exclude the fact that you're also pro-Israeli. It's not a zero-sum game, you know. Okay. Um, we have many friends here in the United States who are also pro-Palestinian and are wishing to see peace between Israel and, and, and the Palestinians, which this is something I share too, of course. So um, just the mere fact that you're pro-Palestinian does not mean that you're pro-Israel. Um, I think you referred to a certain group of also politicians, maybe some, you know, civil society organizations that say that they are pro-Palestinian, but actually I feel that they're mainly anti-Israeli. Where the sentiment comes come from, you know, I do not know. Um, and I want to say it is it is very legitimate. It is very legitimate to 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 criticize Israel, for example. It's very legitimate not to uh, subscribe to certain politics of Israel or of the United States or of France or Canada. I mean, this is totally leg legitimate. What bothers me about certain, it's a very small group, I would say, uh, the more radical one is that it's not about the policies of Israel, but I would say that it is rather about I would say the existence of Israel as it is now, as a national mm -hmm. uh, state of the Jewish people, as a homeland of the Jewish people. And this is something that I, I really cannot accept because nobody questions the existence of France as a homeland of the French people. Nobody questions uh, um, Brazil being the homeland of Brazilians, etc., etc. And when Israel the only Jewish state in the world is singled out in this context. This is something that really bothers me. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening, who should call right now? Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I would imagine. I would imagine. And it bothers me when I hear, you know, because Israel is an ally, a friend yeah. to the United States, it bothers me when some of our representatives speak about Israel in such a negative way. And um, so that 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 concerns me. They are definitely in the minority, I would suggest. But uh, we do know that during the Trump administration, a lot of changes happened. Um, first of all, the, the movement of the U.S. embassy. Right. Uh, why was that so significant 
for Israel? You know, Jerusalem has been our historic capital for millennia, for thousands of years. Um, you know, for two, I don't want, let's not go into history, but just I do want to mention just one detail. You know, Jews have been in the diaspora all around the globe for more than 2,000 years. We have been able to reestablish, and I'm saying re, because we did have in the past a Jewish state in this region, to reestablish our homeland in Israel after 2,000 years. Jews today, every Jew, practically every Jew in every corner in the world is eligible today and is able today to become a citizen of Israel. This is something that did not exist just, you know, 75 years ago. Um, if we had an Israel eight years ago, the Holocaust might not have happened. If we had an Israel some centuries ago, many of the persecutions against Jews in Europe, in Arab countries, and elsewhere would not have happened. So um, this is something very significant. And for 2,000 years, Jews have longed to come back to Zion, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been our holy uh, city for for for. for, for you know, for thousands of years. And now it is the capital of the modern state of Israel. Now, because of political issues, some of them are totally dis legitimate. We can discuss them. But because of political reasons, many countries did not recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And I think the great thing about what the United States did three years ago is not only did they recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, but they also they they also gave um, um, a I would say a political embodiment to this recognition by moving the embassy to Jerusalem. So this is—it was something very, very significant to us. But I want to say, with your permission, Michelle, one more thing, if I may. Yes, of course. One of the most important pillars in our policy with the United States, because it is such an important ally, is bipartisanship. Our relations mm. are not do not have any any partisan tint, any partisan color. We work very hard to maintain the relations bipartisan. So we try to work very closely both with the Democrats and with the Republicans. I, I understand and I, and I get what you're implying there. And so but it is interesting how and you have said it is for political reasons that some people did not want to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Can you touch on maybe the top couple of reasons why that was? I can I can understand some of the reasons, even though I have counter arguments. You know, some said we should we should change you know the status of our recognition in Jerusalem only when there's a, a final agreement between Israel and the Palestinians. Okay. Why I can understand this argument, I do not agree with that because what you're doing basically by saying that is giving the Palestinians a veto power over our bilateral relations over the relations between Israel and the United States. And this is not a positive thing because it gives them a leverage to continue refusing, you know, recognize Israel as a Jewish state and, you know, moving forward to, 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 to a peace agreement. Um, but I would also say that on the extreme edge of those who oppose to that, again, stands the basic, the basic refusal to recognize Israel as, as the homeland of the Jewish people. And that is, for me, again, singling out Israel, comparing to other countries, singling out. And that is, I don't want to say that it's anti-Semitic, but 
it is it is it is a strong flirt with anti-semitism a <laughs> strong flirt okay all right uh, yeah it's um this is all fascinating i'm learning so much and i thank you for that this this lack of peace between is israel and the palestinians um has you know it's gone on through my entire life it's all that i know of that region is there is no peace there how close were you getting with the abraham accords and and the abraham accords of course uh, normalize some relations there if you want to detail how those impacted things in israel and and just was that a sign that things were inching closer to peace in the region absolutely you know we are celebrating now two and a half years to the signing of the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords basically are the biggest, I would say, biggest accomplishment for peace in the Middle East in the last 30 years. Um, you know, it, it included not just normalization, but full relations between Israel and, and, and important Arab countries, Uni the United Arab Emirates, Morocco, Bahrain, to some extent Sudan. Um, it was signed during the Trump administration, but the great thing is that it is a totally bipartisan issue. And President Biden right now is working very hard, his administration, with a big support from Congress, from both sides of the aisle in the Congress, something that doesn't happen so often in today's <laughs> uh, um, political environment in this country, um, to, to enhance the circle of peace in the Middle East, to enhance the Abraham Accords. There is a major focus now on the biggest and probably the most important Arab country, that is Saudi Arabia. Your national security advisor, Mr. Sullivan, was you know, visiting Riyadh just two weeks ago with a, 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 you know, strong intent to bring peace, normalization between Israel and Saudi Arabia. That would be something very, very big because Saudi Arabia being such an important leader in the Arab world, peace with Saudi Arabia would necessarily bring more Arab countries into, into the table, which is a great thing. Right. But I think that the... the one of the most important things about the Abraham Accords is that they broke the, as you mentioned, the decades of veto power that the Palestinians had, uh, had over the possibility that Israel would have peace with the Arab world because they said, first we and then the rest of the Arab world. And, uh -huh. you know, many Arab countries subscribe to that for political reasons. And then at a certain point, Moderate Arab countries like the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco said, you know, we have so many interests. We want to make peace with Israel. It serves our people. So we're not going to wait for the Palestinians to decide whether they want to make peace with Israel or not. And let me tell you one more thing. I, you know, before arriving in Chicago, I worked as, I, as a policy advisor to Israel's uh, foreign minister, now ex-foreign minister, Mr. Gabi Ashkenazi. And I was there during the signing of the Abraham Accords. So I was very much involved in, in the process. And I can tell you that our expectations back then were very, very high because it, it, it was dramatic. Two and a half years later today, I can tell you that it has gone way beyond our most positive expectations in terms of tourism, research and development that we do together um, on, on what the technologies, you know, uh, agricultural technologies, people-to-people -people initiative, um, strategic cooperation in a very unstable region that we live in, the Middle East, and, and so much more. And the United States is plays an amazing and a major role in bringing all these countries, I mean, Israel and the moderate Arab countries together. And I have to say, we're very, very thankful for that.
I, in addition to being thankful, how hopeful are you that in your lifetime you will see peace between the Palestinians and Israel? You know, as a father, I have three kids. They're teenagers already, very rough period of time. But yeah. <laughs> as, as a father, I, I, I believe that it's not about whether I'm optimistic. I have to be optimistic. And as a policymaker, I have to make sure that I'm not just waiting, but we do everything we can to, to create more opportunities for, for resuming the negotiations and to finding solutions. Because, you know, in the end of the day, you know, we diplomats tend to, to speak about strategic ideas, strategic plans, strategic affairs. In the end of the day, it's about the people in the Middle East. It's about the Palestinian mother and the Palestinian child who live either in the West Bank or Gaza. And at the same time, it's about the Israeli mother and father and the Israeli uh, children who live in the south of Israel, for example, under constant threat of rockets that are being fired towards them from Gaza, yeah. the Gaza Strip. And we have to we have to do everything we can to break this cycle of violence. So I, it is, it is, it is a war. It is, it's not just about the need to be optimistic. It is my work plan to be optimistic and to try to, to find solutions. So yes, I hope that not only in my lifetime, but that during maybe not the next years, but in the next decade, we'll be able to find a solution with our neighbors, our, our cousins, the Palestinians. It is amazing, and certainly having children, even when they're teenagers, puts a lot of things into perspective because you do look at the future so much differently. You love your children so much, and you want them to live in a happy, safe, peaceful world. Right. Um, you know, as much as it sounds as a cliche, you know, you want to make sure that the world that you leave to your children is just, you know, just a little bit better than the world that you live in today. And I think that's our goal as parents and as, you know, people who are involved in policymaking or whatever we do. Yeah, whatever we do. It's, uh, it, it is, it is true. It's, I, I, I think that's what drives me a lot. Um, you talk about your effort and you, you spoke about your consul, your consulate there in Chicago, which represents, a lot of the Midwest, a good, you know, I think Detroit is in your purview, parts of Nebraska, right? I, there's a, a massive uh, chunk of the Midwest here that 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 is in your purview. And you talked about working with people of color. Um, what kinds of efforts are those and, and why are they important? Thank you for asking that, because this has been a top priority for me since my day one here. So, yes, we cover nine Midwestern states, everything that is between Michigan and Indiana in the west, in the east, all the way to Nebraska and the Dakotas in the west. I was privileged to visit all nine states on my, during my first year. Fascinating, fascinating region. But especially in the big cities, I think we need to give an extra effort in creating more partnerships with African-American communities and Latino communities. Let me start with the African-American uh, community because there's a lot of history of this country, in this country, of partnership, historic partnership, since the days of the civil rights movement between, uh, between the African-American community and the Jewish community. Jewish members, Jewish citizens of this country have been very much involved in the civil rights uh, com um, in the civil rights movement from, you know, marching in Selma with Martin Luther King to 
uh, promoting legislation, uh, civil rights legislation. And I feel that we need to rebuild this partnership first between Jews and African-Americans in this country, but also with the Jewish state, because I think that, you know, Israel is a very diverse country. We understand diversity. There's not just Jews in Israel from practically every corner of the globe, from, you know, South America, Ethiopia, India, Europe, North America. It's, you know, Arab countries. My parents arrived from Arab countries, from Egypt, Iraq, and Yemen. There has been Jewish communities in these countries for for 2,000 years. Um, So we understand diversity. And we also have more than 20% of our citizens in Israel that are Arabs. The majority are Muslims, but also Christian Arab, uh, Druze Arabs, and so on. So we understand diversity, and we understand the need for for representation and inclusion. Um, And this is something that I... I think I have common language with many local uh, leaders from different communities here, but we're trying to do more than that. We're trying to create partnerships that we try to understand, to learn, to talk to to community leaders and to understand what their major needs are and how Israel with certain expertise might be helpful to to these needs. So there, there, there has been amazing projects on mental health. Mental health is the number one issue now, especially since COVID. Um, Israel, unfortunately, has a lot of experience because of our experience, because of terror. But, you know, it doesn't matter if it's terrorism in Israel or gun violence in the south side of Chicago. It creates trauma and and local communities need tools to deal with this trauma issues. We try to work on um, uh, food security issues, on, on local, you know, agricultural initiatives. On, on, on DI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that is a big thing right now and has always been a big thing in Israel. And I think that we create, through these partnerships, we create a lot of understanding and dialogue, which is very important. I'll just ask real quick before we uh, get to Iran to close us out, but when you talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, the equity piece of that confuses me. And I'm just wondering if you would explain it from your point of view. To me, equity means you can guarantee outcomes, whereas equality means you can offer the opportunities to everyone, but you can't guarantee outcomes. So um, that's a very that's a ve- that's a very important that's a very important conversation, a very important uh, question. You know, I don't want do not want to get into local issues, but I can only talk about my country in this sense and. Mm-hmm. You know, what you cannot guarantee, I totally agree that you cannot uh, guarantee the outcome. You can guarantee the opportunity. Um, and let's talk about Israel. We have a lot of issues, a lot of challenges, a lot of problems. I, I'm not afraid of the world uh, problems, by the way. I mean, yeah. you don't have to, like, I mean, you can call it, call it either challenges or problems, but we have certain major, major problems and challenges in, in my country. Because we're such a diverse country, Certain communities need more access to, um, you know, Israel is known by many to be the high te- the startup nation because we're a super innovative country. The number of uh, high tech startups per capita is number one in the world. Very innovative, but some communities, for example, do not have the access to higher education, and therefore do not take part in this sector. This is super important. So the government has created a lot of programs that would allow people to have the opportunity if they wish to. Right. You know, to access to higher right. education, to take part. So this is this is why I mean by my 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 understanding of equity. Understood. Right. Understood. Iran is a very. I say the word, and I, 
I get a little nervous <laughs> on a number of levels. There's so much history. Um, there is, it, it, we think of Iran and we think of the axis of evil, as George Bush, oh, yeah. George W. Bush put it. We think of the, the nuclear program there. We think of the, the threats to take Israel off the planet and the death to America. Oh, yeah. And it's all quite overwhelming and anxiety inducing. And there you are. They're your neighbor. That you know, they're they're a distance from us, um, but they're your neighbor. What where are we here? We're in twenty twenty three, almost halfway through the year. What what kind of fear do they do they is it warranted that we all feel this way about Iran? Is it, is it, you know, we're so focused on things like now, like, like China and, and, uh, Russia and Ukraine. And I think our, our attention span is short, right? And so everything that's happened in Iran and Iraq and, and Afghanistan is sort of like in the rearview mirror. I, I, I think we need to focus on it as well. What's your perspective on their position in the world and the threat that they pose? All right. Thank you. Major question. And I want to <laughs> your presentation um, because you mentioned that it was part of the um, axis of evil, that it poses a major threat to Israel. But I think that today everybody understands that it's, it's much more than that. Let me explain. I have several concerns about Iran. First, their nuclear ambitions. I mean, already they are what we call a threshold country. It means that at any mo a given moment, they are able to break through. You know, they have enough enriched uranium uh, that would be enough for one or potentially more atomic bombs. This is not a threat to Israel. It's a threat to the whole region. And this is, I think, part of the reason that many moderate Arab countries are looking to have more peace with Israel because we have common threats. That is Iran. Um, but it's not only threatening Israel and the Middle East. It thre it's threatening also Europe because the Iranians are holding ballistic experiments of missiles that potentially can reach Europe, 2,000 kilometers. That's more than 1,000 uh, miles. That's not the distance to Israel. That's the distance to mainland Europe. So that's a major threat. And if they're not stopped, they will you know, continue to develop missiles that would one day reach the United States. Have no doubt about that. Now, so first is is uh, their nuclear ambitions. Secondly is their malign activity all over the region. Because it's not only about Iran. You, As you well said, there are neighbors. So we don't have a direct border with Iran. But basically we do have because they operate through proxies in every country that surrounds Israel, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq. In, in, in Yemen, uh, they threat Israel. They threat American interests in the region. You know, look at every country they have been, uh, uh, they have tried to, you know, to be present in. It's a failed country. Lebanon, failed country. Iraq, failed country. Syria, failed country. Yemen, failed country. And that is only because of the uh, Iranian intervention in these countries. So it poses a threat, a global threat, uh, a regional threat to the Middle East but also now a global threat. And why? You mentioned Russia, Ukraine. Now, the Iranians now are the best allies of the Russians in their aggressions against the Ukraine. Why? Because they have been sending them missiles and drones, and the Russians are using the Iranian techniques and the drones and the missiles to attack civilian 
targets in the Ukraine. And this is the exact same methods that the Iranians have been using through their proxies to attack Israel. So what I'm trying to say, it's not our personal headache. It is, but it's also a big headache for the whole region in the Middle East, but also for American interests and European interests. And this is why this is a global uh, issue, and it should be addressed globally and not locally only by Israel. And I think the American administration understands that very well. We have very close and intimate discussion with the administration about, you know, possible, you know, solutions to, 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 to this issue. I think that we need to see a much more stronger uh, stance towards Iran on every possible um, front. And, you know, this is the only way to stop this threat. Yeah, do, you, do you, as much as you appreciate the American interests and the, the American support on this, um, and you mentioned, you touched on some of the other countries that, that and, and maybe the relationships strengthening because the threat is for many of you, but do you feel similar support from European nations, from Arab nations? I think, you know, in the past, it did not necessarily used to be the case. There has been attempts for, for, for years to go back to the, um, to the nuclear deal with Iran. And I, I would diplomatically say that according, at least to the information that I have, very tangible concessions have been offered to the Iranians that were a source of great concern for us. Yeah. But I think there is an understanding right now in Europe and in other capitals that it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And the threat that Iran poses to not only Israel, again, it's to the free world is too big. And, some, and this threat needs to be addressed and to, it needs to be addressed globally on, on the global level. Yeah. Well, we all hope and pray that it is right. uh, for for everybody's sake. Yeah. It would be nice if there were no evil in the world, but unfortunately that is something that has existed from the dawn of time and will exist forevermore. I agree. And, 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 and we have to understand that you can't eradicate evil completely. It will always pop up. And so it's, it's a matter against of evil. That's our job. That's yeah. our role. Right. We have to stand up against it. It has been so good to have you on. You know, so thank you so much for your time today. I, I hope we can do it again. There's so much to learn, and I really appreciate you. I would love to. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. As always, be brave and do good. We'll see you next time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.